On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Stephen Wilson's Hand Cannot Erase. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friend, Paul Zotter, as we cover Stephen Wilson's 2015 release, Hand Cannot Erase. So, Paul, welcome to uh, to this episode where we cover Stephen Wilson's Hand Cannot Erase, an album that... I think you've been trying to get me on board with for about two years now, and I've been a little bit behind the times. And I'm I'm wondering I'm wondering if we finally uh, crossed over the barrier. <laughs> I I, th- I think I think we have indeed crossed the threshold, <laughs> and I am on board the train, moving very fast. That is fantastic. All right, I'm super happy to hear that. My relationship with with Stephen Wilson's solo work has been evolving. And I, like I said, I, you, you've been on me for a couple of years about Hand Cannot Erase. You've tried a couple different ways to uh, <laughs> to get at me, um, none of which were entirely successful. And then To the Bone came out and it's sort of like it, it let me into the house. And then I started exploring the rooms. And obviously, you know, the the experience that you know, we've had with the first three albums has already been covered in our previous episodes. And so... I, through that, I had started to sort of come on board with Hand Cannot Erase, but it was when I really sat down to prepare for this episode and, and get into, you know, the subject matter and, and start to pay attention to the lyrics and the mood of this song or this this album, as well as some of the videos I watched. And it was fantastic. And so I, I texted you last night because I, I had one of those Tumblr moments where everything just fell into place immediately. And it was it was cool. I love that. I, when I saw that text, I was just like, I was, I felt vindicated somehow. I don't know why. <laughs> That's awesome. And I love how your, your um, entrance to Stephen Wilson's solo material has been practically, actually, probably exactly the opposite of mine, <laughs> right? So Hand Cannot Erase was my first dive into it. And then I kind of went the other way. Um, and kind of ended with to the bone uh, quite reluctantly, but but came around and uh, and seems like you kind of went the opposite direction. So I love that. Well, it's it's the difference of perspective that makes the palaver what it is. Tell me how you want to go about this, Paul. Should should we do the particulars first and then maybe go into some of the the, the source material? Or do we cover the origin story first and then go into the album? Let's stick to the program. Let's okay. uh, cover the particulars and uh, and then cover cover the source material as we go. I think it'd be uh, perfect. All right. Yeah. So, Hand Cannot Erase was released in February of 2015, produced by one Stephen Wilson, and released on the K Scope label. Band lineup, according to the wikis, is Stephen Wilson, who is credited with. Lead vocals, Mellotron, keyboards, guitars, bass guitar, banjo, hammer, dulcimer, programming, shaker, and effects. So pretty, heavy load. Pretty heavy load for, for Steven. <laughs> then we have um, we have Guthrie Govan, who plays lead on two tracks. We have Nick Beggs, who plays bass on two tracks, and Chapman Stick on four. 
as well as backing vocals. Adam Holtzman is credited with piano, Hammond organ, Celesta, which I don't even know what that is, and the Fender Rhodes. And Marco Miniman is credited with drums. Now we also have, um, and I don't have specifics here, but we have Dave Gregory is credited with guitars, Chad Wackerman with drums, Nanette Taeb with vocals. Ah. We'll get into her in a little bit. Uh, Theo Travis, uh, flute and baritone saxophone. Catherine Jenkins, spoken word. Leo, ah. Leo Blair is credited with a solo vocal. And we have the Scola Cantorum of the Cardinal Vaughan Memorial School Choir doing choirs. Mm. Goodness the, gracious, yes. I just the, got chills. Yeah. And the London Session Orchestra with strings. Track listing is First Regret, Three Years Older, Hand Cannot Erase, Perfect Life, Routine, Home Invasion, Regret Number Nine, Transience, Ancestral, Happy Returns, and Ascendant Hereon. I would like to point out, I have, I, I purchased this electronically through iTunes, and mm. in that version, um, mm. First Regret and Three Years Older are tracked as a single track, as well as Home Invasion and Regret Number Nine, and Happy Returns and Ascendant Hereon. Yes. Those are... That's and, how it's listed on Spotify and pretty much everywhere I've, I've ever seen it written, except for here on the wikis. And then uh, the the opening paragraph of, of the wikis here is extraordinarily depressing or insufficient. Hand Cannot Erase is the fourth solo album, fourth studio album by English musician Stephen Wilson. The album was released on 27 February 2015 through K-Scope. Yeah. <laughs> seems like there's a lot missing there. It seems like there's, <laughs> there's a lot missing. They do, they do get into quite a bit around the, the writing and recording and the concept. So I guess that that's, that's there too. So that is, there. they just broke it out for us. I would like to just go back and say that while it notes that Guthrie Govin is playing lead guitar on, on only tracks five and seven, which I, I, I would agree that the lead guitar on tracks five and seven are the, the most obvious. Uh, his lead playing is all over this album. Um, I mean, you can tell Guthrie Govin, I think we talked about this last time. When you hear him play a note, you know that it's him. It cannot possibly be anyone else. He is all over this album. I certainly wouldn't want anyone who's not familiar with this album to think that he's only got two leads on this. Um, some of his, I think, greatest examples of his ability is on i guess what we're calling track two here which is three years older and certainly the solo and happy returns is unmistakably guthrie govin i love the fact that dave gregory's on this album too in recent days just really started to become an unsung hero i kind of didn't realize how much dave gregory had an impact on my life until just recently but most notably his work with big big train has been a a huge uh, impact on me. So um, it's funny to see him here. I think that's awesome. Well, and, and you know, it's it's funny. You guys have been talking about Big Big Train for a couple months at this point. Uh, you know, and until you guys had brought it up in the chat, I had never heard about them, but they seem to keep coming up time and time again in all of the sort of, you know, podcasts I listen to, research I've been doing for these episodes. You know, it, it so clearly there's there's something there that I need to uh, to look into. They've really, be, they've really kind of become a big deal in in the progressive rock circles. 
I would say much the way that Stephen Wilson has in the last several years. And I want to, it's probably a conversation for another day, but they've spent a lot of time recording. And I want to say that it's only recently that they've, they've focused on performances and, and those performances have sort of just, I guess, kind of blown them up. At least it's, it's, it's made it possible for blokes like me across the pond to understand who they are and, and what's happening. So, yeah. Hand cannot erase based on the, the overall story of one Joyce Carol Vincent, who uh, I'll just paraphrase at the end of her life. She had isolated herself basically from everyone. She was living in what seems to me to amount to some sort of a, a small apartment in a, in a facility um, designed for people of who had suffered domestic abuse. And she ended up passing away in that apartment and no one discovered her for three years. And so the obvious question is, how does no one discover someone's, you know, dead for three years? And you start digging into, and I guess there were some situations where like half of her rent was paid for by some sort of um, authority in, in Britain. And so, you know, rent was being paid and so according to one system, it looked like rent was being paid, even if it all wasn't being paid. I guess her her utilities were continually left on via some sort of debt forgiveness program. And and so the, the spooky part about it was when they finally, when the authorities finally, you know, entered into the apartment, the heat and the TV had been on the entire time. And she was basically sitting there. Her skeletal remains were were sitting there. They suspected she had died sometime just prior to the Christmas holidays as she had, uh, you know, Christmas gifts kind of right. around that, that apparently she had been purchased and left there. I keep thinking about this this scene and what that must have looked like. And, and clearly there's something about this story that resonates with a lot of people. How could she just basically disappear and no one notice? How does that happen, right? And so, yeah. And to that point, Joe, this is going to sound silly, but I remember a line from Sex in the City, that show, where you know the single women were like afraid of being that old woman that dies in her apartment and no one notices her until the smell, and they find out that their cats have been eating them. And Stephen Wilson mentions that you you hear this and you think, oh, it must be some you know crickety old lady who didn't have a lot of relatives or you know, but it turns out that that no, in fact. Joyce Carol Vincent is a young, vibrant woman that you would never expect to have um, just, you know, disappear and no one notice. So the, the story resonates. Stephen Wilson in 2014 records a, uh, an album about it. And I don't know what, what brought it on his radar, but in 2011, there was a film called Dreams of a Life that was yeah. released. And while I've been unable to obtain a a copy. I don't have a, a Prime account currently, um, but I understand hmm. it's on it's on Prime. So hopefully. it's on Prime. See, I have a Prime account. I am oh. the worst Amazon Prime user of all time. <laughs> so, so uh, maybe I'm actually I'm actually with the person that makes it possible for everyone else to enjoy free shipping <laughs> and everything because I pay all that money every year and I never use it. You never so use anything. You're welcome to the world. <laughs> well, there you go, Paul. You, you, apparently, it's. Based on my uh, my research yesterday, it is it is available for streaming on Prime. You have no idea how much time on Thursday night I spent trying to find 
uh, that 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 movie to stream. Jesus. Yeah, Christ. I've I've you know I I managed to see a little bit of it. Um, I found some Polish site that had like a, a two and a half minute segment, and it was enough to really really draw me in. Um, there are also available, um, and I didn't I didn't watch them, but there there are a couple of videos that seem to be around a video diary of Carol Morley, who is the woman who who wrote and directed dreams of mm -hmm. a life. And so, you know, I, I would imagine there's probably a lot of additional sort of source material around this story, but for the, for the purposes of this discussion, I think, you know, we, we kind of know enough to be getting on with mm -hmm. the, the one part about it that I can't speak to obviously is beyond the, the three years at the end and isolated of everything else. I don't know how, accurate Stephen's story is with the events in her life prior. I don't know that for our discussion, that really matters very much because we do know that hand cannot erase is, is based around this, yeah. this, this general concept and whether it's, it's factually accurate or not, the, the picture that Stephen Wilson paints here is extremely powerful. Yeah. What I found on the wikis and the subsequent links around our dreams of a life, which, by the way, the Amazon link will be in the show notes for everyone to enjoy uh, so they don't have to go through the, the trouble that, <laughs> that we've gone through. It's documented that that Stephen Wilson's character is grossly fictionalized compared to what we know about Joyce Carol Vincent. Um, I would say that the parallels are a vibrant young woman becomes isolated, becomes isolated based on because of uh, some sort of of loss in her family, and then she dies alone. So I think that, that that's probably where the similarities end. What's amazing, though, to your point earlier is that this, I mean, the story of Joyce Carol Vincent is just so provocative. You immediately wonder how this could happen. And then almost at the same time, you start tracing through your mind, oh, yeah, I kind of see how that could happen. Yeah. And then it, there's just, for me at least, there just was this fascination, which was an, an immediate draw to me. Just a quick side note for me, this is my favorite story of getting to, to know an artist. My friend Reed texted me one day and said, hey, I've got a couple extra tickets to see Stephen Wilson at the Opera House in Wilmington. Are you interested in going? And my, my reply was, of course. Can you remind me who Stephen Wilson is? <laughs> and so what he did, and I was like, all oh, right, okay. And then I go through and start doing, like I had like two days to prepare for, the Stephen, for a Stephen Wilson concert after on his fourth album when I never heard anything. And so I read a little bit about this album and I listened to a couple things that were on YouTube because at the time he wasn't streaming so there wasn't a lot available. I basically was able to hear on YouTube First Regret and Three Years Older and immediately I was like, okay, this is going to be fantastic. And I also noted that Guthrie Govan had played on the album so I was like outside of myself and then I got to the theater and we were like in the third row. Nice. And I was like, I can't believe I'm going to be this close to Guthrie Govan and watch him play. And I said something that to my friend Reed, and he's like, oh, yeah, he's not playing with him anymore. <laughs> and I was like, oh, but Dave Klimminster was playing and he was fantastic um, also. So uh, and, you know, I got to got a chance to see him. So just understanding what the story was about 
and and having that fascination up front was such a huge draw to to wanting to hear this and to to just jumping in and the one thing that i also searched for and i don't know if you had any luck finding is that there was sort of like a pre-campaign for this album where there was a blog that Stephen Wilson was releasing and it was his version of the character. No, um, really? Yeah. And, and his version of the character, she was blogging about her life, sort of setting up this, the release of hand cannot erase in all the things that she was going through and thinking of. So there was this sort of haunting foreshadowing blog of this character that's got to be out there somewhere. And maybe it's in one of the Stephen Wilson, like six page or six booklet DVD specials. So I guess this is where we put out a, a call to arms to the Palaver listeners. If you're aware of where we can find this blog, let us know. And we can, uh, we can ultimately link it up, you know, with our, with our show notes. And, and that brings up another point in that, as I mentioned, I, I purchased this album digitally. So this is the one album where I don't actually have access to the lyrics. That sort of slowed my my growth with this album a little bit. Normally, once I sort of figured out the story was or anything else, I would I would go into the available lyrics and, and sort of see what connections could be drawn. And in the absence of that, you're sort of forced to you know try to figure out as much as you can on your own. In some ways, you know, I think that really aided in the excitement of my epiphany moment when it when it mm. finally came through. And it was, you know, it was funny because there there were actually a couple of moments last night that were just just amazing with regards to the story and, and how it all fit together and everything else. And I guess at one point there was a super duper deluxe release of this. It's teased on his website, but I don't know what that's about either. That's one of the coolest things about being a real Stephen Wilson fan. I don't know that I'm even going to categorize myself in that. Although I did just purchase, I did pre-order the Home Invasion DVD, which just arrived, which I'm excited to, oh, awesome. to watch. I feel partly responsible for that, even though I know I'm not, because during our concert series episode, I said, I hope they make a video of this, a DVD of this. People who have been following closely from the beginning have just the the treat of all of these uh, wonderful special releases that have oodles and oodles of information. So maybe that's available on Amazon too. Maybe I should look maybe, there. Maybe, maybe I should maybe start using Amazon.com. <laughs> Ironically, that's where I that's where I bought the DVD, the Home Invasion DVD. Seriously, Amazon. that is yeah. funny. So th there there are two aspects about this this album in general that I, I want to sort of touch on before we get knee deep into it. In our previous episodes on Stephen Wilson's solo work, we have made mention of, you know, the, the sort of haunting or spooky uh, nature of Stephen's solo music mm -hmm. that um, can be unsettling at times and everything else, as well as sort of his evolution as a solo artist. And, and figuring out how everything sort of fit together. A lot of that seemed to come together in our last episode, The Raven That Refused to Sing, where mm. he, he very specifically went for spooky supernatural themes that seemed to marry very well with the music. And he was at the same time paying very deliberate homage to some of the, the prog rock gods of the past while at the same time finding his footing as who Stephen Wilson was. 
I think then coming from that and looking for that that overall context, I think hand cannot erase is a more true expression of all of those things. Um, I think while the the obvious influences are still there and in some cases different, they aren't quite as heavy handed as they were in the Raven. And at the same time, they they seem to flow much more naturally on this album. The music marries perfectly with the subject matter here. It seems to be more effortless. The Raven mm. was great, but it was like it, it it had this it has this feeling of we're going to do something great. Whereas Hand Cannot Erase <clears throat> is just great. Yeah, interesting. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. And there's a couple things that I kind of chuckled this go around. I never thought about it before. One thing was in reading some material from Stephen Wilson around his discussions of the Raven that refused to sing and other stories, he kind of took a cheap shot, if he, if you could call it that, about neo-prog rockers, right? He said neo, like a lot of times in neo-progressive rock, they just have a bunch of ideas and they just kind of attach them together. Mm-hmm. And there, there's not really this sort of musical flow, and he really wanted to avoid that. I feel like in Hand Cannot Erase, he may have lightened up a little bit on that on that requirement, where sometimes I, I do feel like the song is complete, it's done, and then all of a sudden he just goes whoop, right into another <laughs> another section. And I don't mind it at all, and he always ties it back around. So I think it's a very, very minor transgression, if you will, based on his statement you know, compared to what we've talked about with Marillion, where they just have these sometimes static changes <laughs> of the music, right? Right. Like, okay, this idea is over, boom, and we just start this next one, yeah, same song. The other thing that's really cool, and I agree with everything that you said, and I would just add that I think in Hand Cannot Erase, you start to see some of the influence of the modern interjections with sort of the drum machines mm. and the, those types of things entering in you know, obviously like a perfect life and even the the um, title track, Hand Cannot Erase. And also I can never remember if it's transients or ancestral that kind of starts with the the what sounds more like a, a, a drum program. But it harkens ahead to what you hear in To the Bone, which is pretty exciting. And you mentioned when we talked about The Raven about how this was a band, right? The band was right. really delivering, and I really feel that that's taken even to the next level here with some of the tunes that we have in Hand Cannot Erase. So I would like to point out that my digital download includes two additional tracks. So there's a Grand Union mix of Perfect Life, which takes, which takes what you're talking about and, and really amplifies that. Mm. It really helps heighten the, the building tension in the first part of that song. The other additional track is the Nanette solo vocal version of Routine. Oh. <laughs> Thought you might get a kick out of that. Wow. So let, let me – I have to just say this. This this may be better served on, a, on the discussion later on for To the Bone maybe, but let's just take a moment and just acknowledge Stephen Wilson. Despite everything else that you've got going on here with him – He's become quite a savvy music business artist with his utilization of bonus things and different things that you can purchase. He resisted streaming for quite a while, 
and was really forcing people to buy everything either through Amazon or through his site or whatever. And when it was only prior to To the Bone where he just kind of opened up the floodgates, if you will, and I have found that I've purchased more Stephen Wilson music since he's done that <laughs> than than before. When I had to go find it and buy it, I think he's somewhat – I don't know if he's figured it out, but he's certainly found a, a model that works for him. And Stephen Wilson is no dummy. I, I think yeah. that's that's clear. So the second point that I wanted to make, based on what you had said back when we did the special concert series edition on the To The Bone tour, utilizing really the the, the official videos for the, the three songs that are available off this album, as well as, you know, this aforementioned almost perfect union of subject matter and, and musicality and tone and everything else. I, I'm of the opinion, and I can't wait to see him myself, that Stephen Wilson is, he he has a complete artistic vision of what he's trying to do. And he's, he's he seems to be able to to marry in a visual aspect with the musical aspect in ways maybe that other people wouldn't or in ways that certainly with respect to the videos on this album really heighten the emotional experience that you're feeling. And, and I'm assuming he has a, a big hand in this because it, it seems to match so well with the images that he he commissions. And, and mm. as you described it, the way he he presented things visually on live, it, it, it seems just different and powerful. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about something along those lines because knowing everything that Stephen Wilson does, it's just impossible to think that he can really be on top of everything. You know what I mean? Right. You know, but I think he is a, if nothing else, a visionary, right? Yeah. For those guitar players out there, there's a podcast called No Guitar Is Safe, and there's a phenomenal interview with Guthrie Govan, which is which was recorded not too long after he left the Stephen Wilson band. And they didn't talk about his experience with Stephen Wilson too long, but one of the things he said about Stephen Wilson is he he was kind of like you know he's one of those guys. This is Guthrie saying this. He's one of those guys that's good enough at just about everything to be able to do whatever the hell he wants to do. Mm -hmm. And he is really smart about surrounding himself with the people who can deliver that. To your point, the videos that ex express his vision in some of these songs just get better. You know, with the, you look at the ones with Raven, look at the ones with Hand Cannot Erase, they're just better. And so he is either, he either doesn't sleep <laughs> or he's just really amazing at, expressing his vision to others or very collaborative in the way that here's my vision i like your stuff go do what you do and and we'll you know talk about it yeah and 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 maybe that's what it is because like you said there are a number of ways to do that and and either he he has the vision or he surrounds himself with the right people or some combination thereof but whatever the case may be you know here in the the last month that we've been focusing on his solo stuff I've just been blown away with the ability that he has to to do that. Yeah, there could be some George Lucas in here too, right? Like, 
one of my favorite stories is when he he said someone had to come up with a picture of Darth Maul. He described described the the what the character was going to be and said to the artist, "Just go basically draw me up your worst nightmare." And the guy brought him back a picture and he was like, "Oh, okay, maybe your second worst nightmare." <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, maybe there's a lot of that in there where, you know, like you think about the Star Wars Empire, like all those freaking amazing creative people working under George Lucas that we just give credit to George Lucas for everything. But you're right on, man. Maybe we should start talking about the album itself. Just as Perhaps. a thought. <laughs> I, I've had this downloaded for, for two years. So as soon as you told me about it, I downloaded it. I'm like, yeah, it just didn't really work for me. And I kept trying to go back and, and everything else. The the import of the three years older bit, obviously in the absence of knowing the source story, was lost on me. Mm. And it was one of those things where as, as soon as, you know, that was like, that was, you know, when you hit the first number on your on your combination lock, that was the first, you know, Tumblr falling into place. It was like, oh, I get this. <laughs> 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 That's pretty powerful. Mm. And there, there's the line, you're three years older and you'll always be now. And it's just mm. like, oh, goodness gracious. Immediately after that, he goes into that. It's just, it's a very short melody, but it's the, I can feel you more. And, and it's, that melody to me is so beautiful. I just, mm. I love it. Yeah. And I love all the ghostly backing vocals. Like the, He's got all these soft sort of piled on vocals that are very haunting in, yeah. in, in their presentation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's pretty powerful. And as I started to piece this all together and obviously that's the first track you come to and you're like, Oh, I see where he's going here. And, and, and much like you said, you know, that starts to have more import now and you're like, Ooh, okay, cool. I can get behind mm. that. And, and they're really there, there's such a wide range of emotion in this song, and it, it's almost like an overture for the story in, in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah. As you know, lyrics to me are the very last thing that I need to concern myself with, even with a major concept album. <laughs> the thing that I love about the I can feel you more than you really know, I will love you more than I'll ever show, right? There's so many different meanings that could be possibly intertwined in that. But one of the things that I always kind of took from that is everybody experiences loss. Everybody experiences isolation at their point in time. There is sort of a strangely universal connection to this this concept and this story. Yeah. My interpretation of this, and tell me if, if you think this is right, because I'm, you know, I'm still sort of working through this. So it really starts at the end as well as the beginning. Because yes. it's, it tries to bridge all of that and, yeah. and set the stage, if you will. You know, here's here's how this woman ended, but there was also a beginning. Let's let's make a Dark Tower reference, right? Mm. You know, the first line of the Dark Tower is the last line of the Dark Tower. Yes. And spoiler alert, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> We're not talking about the movie. Because the movie has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> and, and and so you know, it's yeah. it's it's both the end and the beginning, and that that's kind of what I feel here with, with this. Yeah, song. I, and you're you're right on and that's that's kind of my approach and one of the things that i always allow for it happening in progressive rock music which is sort of a no-no in songwriting is the changing of point of view at any time so to me this song is at all parts sung from a narrator's perspective mm -hmm. 
But at the same time, I can experience this song from the protagonist's perspective as well. well right. Exactly. And, and sort of the feeling I get, again, is the narrator, if you will, could be the, you know, the, the, the agents who discovered the scene. But at the right. same time, you sort of have the, the, the ghost, for lack of a better word, of Joyce Carol Vincent providing her input at the same time is, is sort of how I interpreted it. I'm with you. And I, th I think that's the magic of progressive rock. It's concept albums. All you need is kind of like the idea of what the concept is about. And it can suddenly become about um, many, many things. Right. And, and in a lot of ways, as I've had this sort of journey of discovery with this album and the subject matter, this album has now moved into the neighborhood of Brave. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, Joe Beauclair. <laughs> He's on board. <laughs> I love it. I can't let us get past three years older by saying like, there's so much great shit going on in this song, but there is a recurring melody that, that happens in here that is so beautiful. It's just haunting and it's beautiful and it's played expertly. I don't, I don't even know. Sometimes I feel like it's Guthrie playing it. Sometimes I feel like it's Adam playing it, but it permeates this whole track. It's one of those things that I, once I get it in my head, I just can't get it out of it. And it just goes on all day long. I'm just like, and the fun part about it is that while I'm singing it, you know, I'll be walking around the office and I'll get to the end of it. And then I'll, and then it recapitulates with all of the, like that, you know, and so I'll be singing it, like tapping my legs, walking around the office. It's really surprising that they still let me work in the office. <laughs> They maybe just want to have you work remotely at this point. I think they just think I'm a little weird. They're, they're afraid to approach me about my musical. Uh... <laughs> so that gets us into Hand Cannot Erase. Now, Hand Cannot Erase seems like a very straightforward song in, in terms of its of its songwriting and, and musicality and, and things like that. It's not you know, particularly proggy. And I struggled with this song as to what, hmm. what does hand cannot erase actually mean? So I went to Stephen Wilson's webpage and I pulled up the video hoping that that would tell me. And it really did not. But knowing the Stephen Wilson story, and I, here's, here's where I wound up on this one right now. Okay. Clearly, this is a story about these two people in love, right? And that's that's what the erasing part is. And ultimately, we come to find out, and I'll spoiler this here, that, you know, the, the character in Hand Cannot Erase lost her husband and her two sons to a gunman, if I recall correctly. Yep. So, as I interpreted this, the, the hand that holds the gun cannot erase the love that she has. Yes. I think that that's spot on. Yeah. And and so when you make that connection, now suddenly what at first blush is an extraordinarily straightforward song becomes incredibly powerful. It's powerful in that sense. And what's also very powerful in this song to me is the whole rhythmic setup of this song. It's definitely in sort of this pattern of threes. To me, it's like a measure of uh, three followed by a measure of six. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could just be one giant measure of nine. It could be, you know, divided into, I don't know. It's not typical, right? Right. It's not, it's not something that just allows you to, you know, dance along like, yeah, this is, 
there's always like an extra couple beats that seem to creep in there that make it a little off when right. you're listening to it, which for me at least, it sort of puts that punctuation in there that you think you're in control, but you're really not. That's so great, Paul, because again, to someone like me, it seems straightforward, but at the same time, there is this perception of unease, right? And and maybe that's exactly what it is. So, you know, this is why we have you guys on the palaver. I actually, it's <laughs> funny, I actually gave this song to uh, my friend Paul, who was doing some drumming for me. I wanted to give him some reference tracks for this one song. So I gave him a couple of different songs, and this was one of them, just because the way that Marco sneaks fills in and they're just so fluid. So Paul's re response to me was, he was like, yeah, I listened to those songs. He was like, yeah, the one I kind of heard, the second one, yeah, I kind of get an idea. That th He's like, and he talked about Hand Cannot Erase. He's like, dude, I don't know what the hell's going on in that song. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. The, uh, the video is very interesting. Have you watched the video on that one? Not in a long time. I have seen it before, though. So it's it's the man and the woman sort of in black and white being doused with water. They try to express a wide variety of themes, I think, in very simple ways. I need to go back and spend some more time with it. I find it kind of fascinating. It didn't provide me all of the obvious answers that I needed, much in the way that Routine did. Again, it's, a, it's an extraordinarily artistic video in the way that it's done. They start out just, you know, two normal people and you kind of see them interacting. And then eventually the water starts coming in and, and they've got some just fantastic shots. In some cases, it's, you know, it, it's like the music and in some of the, the visuals are almost disturbing, even though there's nothing, just water over a face, right? But, but the, yeah. the way that they captured it in the way that it looks, it, it, it can kind of creep you out. And then at the end, they, they start reversing a lot of it. And, and so it, it's interesting watching, you know, this water sort of go back and it's oh, mm. very cool. I feel like I could probably watch that video a hundred times and still not really know what the fuck is going on. It is thought provoking. And, and again, yeah. that goes back to these types of albums, which is fantastic. Perfect life. Now, if, if I look at my note page here, as, as I go through these albums and when it's time to make notes, I'll, I'll write down the, the title track and then I'll have my, the title of the track and I'll have my notes mm. underneath it. I have absolutely nothing under Perfect Life. Really? Nothing at all. That's not to say that I don't like it. I don't think it's spectacular. I literally, mm. I, I just, I didn't know what to write down. And then I watched the video and my mm. brain literally just, fell out of my head because again this part of the story seems to be fairly obvious right foster mm -hmm. sister comes in they hit it off they have a, a great relationship they have this perfect life and then she's gone but even in the way like lyrically the way all of that is presented right because you they they give you a glimpse very, very adeptly of, of all of the things that came before that. So she talks about her sister looking drawn or, or something from a past that she couldn't even imagine, right? Hmm. It, it's one line. It provides you a, a long-range view of vistas that you're not anywhere close to. But there's something it, else going on there, right? 
Yeah, she arrived one February morning, pale and shell-shocked from past lives I could not imagine. There you go. Mm. Yeah, dude. One line, and it communicates so much. Now, if you watch this video, it's two girls in a field. All you see is them sort of interacting in a very positive way, a very loving way. And then the one girl puts a blindfold on the other. And she starts to back away from her. And mm. so the blindfolded girl is now reaching out her hand. And by the time she removes the blindfold, the first girl is gone. And now you just have this, this girl standing in this field, you know, looking lost, confused, whatever the case may be. Much in the way that one line expresses so much with so little, the, the visuals of this, of this video convey the story to me in such a powerful way I, I i literally almost short-circuited yeah the artistry is really incredible the first time i heard this song was watching it live and the <laughs> video is playing behind and i'm listening to all this happen they're overdubbing the narration oh, from yeah. this wonderful <laughs> english woman you know it gets to the line which is just there's just this incredible moment in this song for me and it's quite interesting that we're talking about it right now after talking about the video of Hand Cannot Erase, where she says, sometimes we would head down to the Blackbirds Moor to watch the barges on Grand Union in the twilight. And that's when it really starts to move. And Nick Begg starts playing the Chapman stick uh -huh. like a fucking badass. And like all of this is happening as I'm watching and I'm hearing all of this live. And I don't even know, like, I'm just so distracted by the video. And then I some, I look over and realize that all this great sound is coming from the, the Chapman stick. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, it was just like, <laughs> that was just such an amazing night. But that moment in the song is one of, is probably my favorite because there's, there's something about sometimes we, we would head down to the Blackbirds Moor. And the stick comes in, the extra melody comes in, and there's and it there's that movement. You're picturing women and the, the story, and then she says, sometimes we would head down, and all of a sudden there's this movement in the music that starts to push you forward. Right. And then there is a terrific production thing that happens um, right after that line where she says – where it goes, she said – the water has no memory and it just echoes and echoes and echoes and it's so incredible and you know and and i'm just thinking now we just talked about the hand cannot erase video right. with the water splashing around everybody right like hello that um, is amazing <laughs> you described it perfectly it and it takes me back to life in the in the 80s right right once you would see a video for a song on mtv we've talked about it even though we go back now and think man that, that video for owner of lonely heart is goofy <laughs> But once you saw that video, you couldn't shake the images when you'd hear the song. And I feel the same way about about these songs. Like once once you see the video for A Perfect Life, you just can't shake it when yeah. you listen to the song and it and it elevates the song in such a terrific way. It does. It elevates it tremendously. Oh, fantastic. And then routine. This was one of your secondary attempts to get me on here. I, you, right. you found this video <laughs> and you said, dude, you've got to look at this video. It's going to change everything for you. And yeah. I got probably three minutes into the video and it didn't change anything for me at the time. 
<laughs> yeah. And granted, if you're not really like if you're not really in the in the scope of the story and, you know, giving a shit about it, like you're probably just watching this going like, what the fuck is this? I don't know. Now, when I came back to this and, and I again, I, I went to this video, the, all these videos looking for insight, looking for answers and routine provides it in spades. This was the second tumbler coming into place. Mm. because I'm I'm watching the video. And again, I had seen part of it, you know, a year ago. And at this point, I'm trying to reconcile the Stephen Wilson story with with the real story. And I'm, that's why I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. Mm. And the way that they present this, this portion of the story, it, it, it has almost a sixth sense vibe about it. Because you know something's not quite right, but you don't know what it is. At least that's the way I saw it last night. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Totally. You, you know, you're like that. That's one right. one clue are the giant bulging red eyes well, from all the, of the crying <laughs> that she most likely did. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. There there no, I, is. It's it's wonderful the way it's done. Yeah. Then when they have that after she finally breaks and they had the the newspaper that had the headline. Yeah that I literally had to go back and pause it just to make sure I saw it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, there you go. Because as I was watching the video originally, the first thing that I picked up on was when she would, she smelled her husband's coat. And so mm. I was under the impression that, you know, something had happened to the husband, but she still had the two boys because she kept making the beds and making mm -hmm. the lunches and, and everything else. So when I saw that, when you sort of get that very explicit, yeah, she lost all three. And that's after the, the very strange dinner scene. Just to continue the, the Sixth Sense parallel, that was, that was the scene in that movie where I was like, what is going on here? Where he joins his wife at dinner in the restaurant mm. and she's talking and it, it just, it didn't seem to match up. And I'm like, that, that was like the thing that for me really weirded me out. And so when she's sitting at this table with, with, you know, four place settings and, and I was, mm. I was counting that very specifically. And I'm like, what? Yeah. So when they show that and it's like, okay, even a dummy like me knows what's going on now. Good. I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> But the other thing about that scene that cracked me up was there was a copy of Nature Magazine, which Nature Magazine is like one of the super duper highbrow natural science publications in the world. Mm. It's, it's the cream of the crop. When I was doing work for, for NASA on Origins of Life, there were, there were two publications that you wanted to get in. I like how you just slipped that in. You like that? You know, that was very Yeah, when I was so. working with NASA, <laughs> working on the oranges of life, no big deal. Just something I used to do. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> there, were, there were two publications that you wanted to be in, either science or nature. And so seeing a super highly regarded scientific publication in a, a rock music video, <laughs> I was just like, how I want to know how that got in there. That was amazing yeah. to me. So then suddenly everything kind of becomes clear. And once you know what's going on, the visuals in the beginning part, they're not any less powerful. In fact, in some ways, they're more powerful. 
So again, it really kind of brought everything into focus as to what this woman was dealing with and why perhaps, certainly in the Stephen Wilson version, she started to withdraw. We talked about the idea that everyone experiences loss. And in this case, this is the loss of the greatest magnitude. It's literally unimaginable. Yet because of the way that it's depicted, husband and two sons killed in a school shooting, it's instantly accessible to everyone because sadly we're just surrounded by that kind of stuff. It's happened and when it happens, it's like all the news talks about for weeks. Yeah, It becomes instantly accessible to us. I just want to revisit some of the things that you said, although the scientific publication definitely escaped me. Imagine watching that video the first time. It's playing while you're watching the band perform the song live. There is no pause button. I can't go back <laughs> and say, what was that? So my head was just absolutely spinning. And I remember being scared yeah. um, watching some of that video. Like when she screams at the end, it was really like a moving experience of so many different emotions. I walked into that show with just the very tiny bit of knowledge around what was happening in front of me and was just so moved that I just I couldn't stop you know, going back to it for months on end. I believe it. This song, as time has gone on, like it's hard for me to listen to this song. I believe um, it. Like a lot of times driving around the car, I just kind of skip over it because I don't really want to necessarily go through the emotional place that this song takes you. There's so much about this, but we do have to sort of talk about it musically, I think, because – and my note here, and I could have this wrong because I get myself confused very easily, I guess is probably like the first breakdown, they return to a melody and it's either the, it's either the three years older or the hand cannot erase melody. And I have hand cannot erase, but it, based on our conversation, it may have been the three years older one where it just kind of comes in very subtly and you're like, that's kind of cool. But the other thing that I like about this is just before the guitar solo, when they when they come back in and the routine melody is being played on the bass. Oh, my God. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's kind of what you said before. It seems effortless, this song. He's bringing in all of the tricks of the progressive rock world. And it, it just it is so seamless to the point where you may not even you may you not even realize it. You're just enjoying it. Like right. the melody is coming back and then the melody switching in between instruments. Uh, it, it really it's it's fantastic. And, and then it goes from from that beautiful moment right into a, a just phenomenal guitar solo, which is mm. great. After the solo, then the vocals come back. With Nanette singing it, and so much like switching the musical melody on the instruments, now you have a woman now delivering these vocal lines. It becomes much more immediate in terms of the song, because at this point you've got some idea of what's going on, and mm -hmm. it just it ratchets up sort of the emotional dial on this even more. And then you get into the second solo section, which is perhaps even better than the first. And, and here's the amazing part. I went through this, obviously, musically, listening to it, trying to make my notes, trying to get my perspective. And so I, I have a note here before I watch the video. And at, hmm. at the end, when you've got the vocals saying, don't ever let go, try to let go. 
And I've got a question mark because I'm like, what are they getting at? And when I watched the video and I understood exactly what the story was, you know, there again, that line sort of crystallized in its meaning and just slays me at this point. Mm. Um, just amazing. Truly. So ironically, we talked about the Nanette solo vocal version of this. Yeah. While it's fantastic to have her singing all of that, I think the fact that she is singing it throughout the whole thing, you don't get that sort of uplift in in emotional stakes when in the second part of the song when she starts singing it. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah. Interesting. This is my first introduction to Nanette, right? <laughs> like she fucking kicks ass on Pariah. Oh yeah. And um you know, but I, I this vocal performance is just stellar. And when she delivers that scream, it's so haunting and yet in the video you see the back of the character like screaming out into the sunset into the the fields. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. Why we should we we really need somebody on this broadcast who doesn't like this album because this is just ridiculous <laughs> it's a bit of a love fest at this point but it's it's so good now home invasion and regret number nine you know you can assume this is where things take an even darker turn this seems a menacing sort of of darkness whereas you're apt to maybe skip over routine this is the song that will sort of cause me some discomfort. And I, if I was going to skip over one of them, it would ah. probably be this. I don't know that I like this song a lot. And I don't know if it's because it makes me uncomfortable or I just don't really care for it. I do like there, there's a groove that comes in at about 315 that I like. I do have a note here, you know, at the very end when it's the piano and the dulcimer, that is very very cool i like that so are we talking about both home invasion and regret number nine or are we just yes. talking about home invasion okay uh, sorry again it's to... it, it, it's it's all tracked together for me so i don't know yes well same, same here but it's funny as you're talking through this on the cd it is these are tracked separately so first regret is actually track one. Oh, okay three three years older is track two etc and, and the reason it's coming home to me is because as you're talking with Home Invasion and you're like, yeah, sometimes I skip through this. Sometimes I skip through Home Invasion too just because I want to get to the fucking keyboard solo in Regret Number 9 because oh. it, it, it may be <laughs> instrumentally the highlight of this album. It's one of those moments where if you're a progressive rock fan and you, you realize there's going to be a keyboard solo happening as it's happening – there are certain things that you hope that you hear, at least in my mind, like sometimes I listen to things and I, and I hope that I hear certain things. The funny part about Adam Holtzman is he played this whole solo with his back to us. It was like a Jeff Downs moment because <laughs> he's got all of these keyboards and he's playing the ones that, and he's got his back. And it's almost like he leaned over his shoulder and looked right at me and said, yeah, I got it right here, pal. And there's so much more. <laughs> so I'm with you. I, I think that that it's a it's a transitional song for the for the concept because it's basically saying like yep lost all my faith in everything and now i'm going to just kind of acquiesce into this sort of seclusion and yet regret number 9 the instrumental portions are just um yeah I, as good as anything that's available in prog rock music well I, say that right and and given the the 
you know, the, the emotional impact of this section, right? And that, that's why I, I found it surprising that piano dulcimer part at the end, it's almost like there's some sort of little glimmer of hope in the middle midst of all this despair. I don't know. That's just, mm. there was, there was something about that that just really stuck with me. And it's a big part of the To the Bone tour. I think I mentioned this, you know, To the Bone is not exactly the most adventurous keyboard album of all time. So it, it's really awesome. Like pretty early on in the show, they give Adam Holtzman his big, his big solo. And it's, uh, it's pretty righteous. I cannot wait to see this tour. Oh, dude, it's going to be fun. I can't, I can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. That brings us to transience. In terms of the story, we have basically everything's turned into a big pile of shit. And so now we're going to just start removing our anchors and, and going where we will. This is interesting. To the extent that I pick up on classic prog rock influences, they're a little bit different in this album. Hmm. So this album, or this particular track, makes me think of, of Ripples. We haven't had a Genesis influence before. And earlier on in the album, there is... I think some Rush influences, which we had not had before. Yes. Although, didn't you mention something about the flute being Genesis-like? Although I guess it was more Jethro Tull. It's, it's, right? it's Jethro yeah. Tull. The the and that, that's why I, I trip myself up. the The mm. Genesis flute is much less soloy and much more melody part of the part of the song. Um, because I, I don't, mm. I have the impression, perhaps that Pete Gabriel wasn't the most accomplished flautist in the world. Hmm. So he wasn't he wasn't shredding in mm. the way that, that Ian Anderson did. Which is probably more along the lines of, here it comes again, big, big train, similar to, as you say, he's not really shredding, just adding appropriate melodies. Right. This song is kind of ethereal. It's short. And I like when she drifted off to sleep, she had the whole world at her feet because it's only the start. It's only the start. It's a... Um, unusually happy sequence of music for this whole part, particularly coming in, coming off of Home Invasion and Regret Number 9, which is a pretty heavy oh, yeah. approach to this. It's almost light in its approach, so, which is kind, it's kind of nice to have that sort of lightness to it. It's so short, it's somewhat, maybe the word is transient. <laughs> it just kind of goes right by me, you know? It's one of those things where when you have sort of those moments in life, and we've all had them, where, you know, everything is pressing down on you and, and you, you feel overwhelmed and you sort of have that moment and you make a decision, whether that decision is the right decision or the wrong decision, but you, you decide, all right, I'm going to move from here and I'm going to go down this path. Just that act of making that decision can make you feel as if you've lightened the load, right? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You take any snapshot in life, and, and that's kind of what I get from, like, it's only the start, right? Like, everything that you do, no matter how important or how unimportant it seems, it's just a start to whatever's next, yeah. right? We're talking about this album for a long time, and it's, it's, and in some ways, it's really just the start of, of uh, our continuing discovery of this, oh, of this record. Yeah. I don't want to say it's a throwaway. I, th I think it's just a reminder to say that no matter where you are, you're just beginning something. Yep. You know, even if you feel like you're ending something, right? And I do like the sort of the musical break that gives you just a little bit of uppity happiness, like the just the melody is happy in the guitar. Yeah. I like that as a as a contrast 
to all of the places that we've been till now and and to where we're headed to. There is that aspect of it, right? With albums like this, where you need to give the listener that chance to catch their breath. Yeah. Again, I'll go back to the set break in Montreal when we saw Marillion perform Brave. Yeah. If they hadn't stopped there, we all would have just lost our mind. We may have fallen over in, in, in just emotional exhaustion yeah. for sure. And, and and when we talked to Steve Hogarth when we were here in Dallas, he, he said the same thing. He's like, that's as hard on me as it is on you. Oh my gosh, yeah. So, you yeah. know, that's... And again, but I think this speaks to the savvy of Stephen Wilson to know that you just can't go balls to the wall for 50 minutes or whatever. You, you've, you've got to, you've got to, you know, break that up. And, and it, yeah. like you said, it's not long, but it's long enough because Ancestral brings it hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just finished a th 11 minutes and 30 seconds of Home Invasion and Regret Number 9, and we're about to hit, you know, 13 plus minutes of Ancestral. This is welcome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Ancestral, I think this was the, the song that you referenced in the beginning because it has that, that, that rhythm that sounds almost metronomic. You're not quite sure exactly what's doing it. The sound is a little bit off, but it, it does have that sort of plodding metronomic aspect to it. And then you get sort of the, the overly reverbing piano and, and then you get those dissonant guitars that kind of come in and, and kind of go away. And then it builds on with these ethereal vocals, right? And here again, Stephen Wilson has proven himself to be a master at, at creating this musical tension. And he's coming at you hard on this. And then you've got all this going on. And then he brings in the flute. And it's just like, oh, <laughs> and it's you know it, it's for me it's so powerful i love the way that the beginning of this song just builds into that and it all kind of builds up to that just monster chorus at about three minutes in my note here says first solo is exquisite mm. i'm pretty sure i'd be happy if this song was only five minutes and 30 seconds um <laughs> Because I absolutely love everything that you just said. It is sort of like the the height of all of this, right? And then you get into the eerie guitar part that just turns into this giant heavy metal jam. You know the, how much I love this record, and I've gushed about it now for however long we have here. You could cut this part out of the album and I'd be perfectly fine. For me, the musical part of it, while it's maybe fun to be heavy, it doesn't bring it home for me. I would be happy if it just ended. Yeah, and, and it's funny because I have a note here because I wanted to ask you specifically what your thoughts were on the heavy metal riffs. Because I think maybe there was maybe a better choice <laughs> for for how you were going to do this. These guitar parts, they don't sound proggy. They sound heavy metal, straight up, good old fashioned heavy metal. And it just doesn't maybe deliver in the way that perhaps he thought it would. Yeah, I'm with you. Like to me, this is more like a porcupine tree reference because mm. they're pretty heavy. Yeah. Part of it, like I get like when the guitar comes in and it's like are the arpeggiating that melody 
it's transitional, right? You, you you go through this beautiful piece, come child, go back if you want. You can try, like all of this great stuff. It transitions to the ultimate conclusion. I'm on board with what's happening musically. To me, it just it just doesn't really fulfill it the way that I wish that it that it would. Yeah. And it's this is just preference, I think. It's not actively bad. It's just yeah. maybe not as transcendent as it could be. And it's a bit long, if I might add. It is a bit long. Like we're talking like seven minutes long of <laughs> uh, of it. So, and, and it could very well be that that Stephen is is once again trying to bridge the story. It seems like our our character now has has sort of turned around and is headed in the right direction. So much in the way that Wave does in in Brave, you've got to, you've got to bridge that narrative gap. I'll give him a pass on this one because he's yeah. pretty much kicked ass everywhere else. Totally right. Musically, you kind of need something there. This is the direction he went. It's fucking kick ass from, you know, if you want to listen to some like eerie guitar and like yeah. heavy and there's some real dynamic passages that kind of bring it down and bring it back up. Maybe in 20 years, I'll feel completely different. And I'll be like, oh, my gosh, how could I have ever said anything about that? <laughs> but, you know, for right right now, it is what it is. It is what it is. But it does get us to Happy Returns mm. and Ascendant Here On. Mm. This was the final Tumblr for me last night, and it, it occurred mm. late last night. <laughs> I, text, I love it. I, I fucking love it, Joe. That's awesome. <laughs> I texted you right away, but it was just like, ugh. And, and it's it's. I may have celebrated it a little bit more with you, but I was right in the midst of the UFC pay per view. So I, I understood. I was I was actually <laughs> surprised you even responded at all. Um, it brings us back to the beginning, right? And we started with this heart wrenching premise of this woman literally being dead and forgotten in an apartment with a TV running for three years, and no one knows. Mm -hmm. And the pain of that particular scenario becomes all the more prominent now because we've we've now journeyed through all of these these adversities with this character. And here she's come through all of that and she's turned this corner and she's heading back and she's thinking about, you know, getting in contact with her brother and she's. She's bought gifts for his kids and she's wrapping those gifts. But as she said, but I'm feeling kind of drowsy, so I'll finish this tomorrow. Mm. And tomorrow never comes. Yeah. Damn. Damn. Chills again. Exactly. Chills again. When I heard that line, having gone through all of these, it's just, it's, it's too much. It really, really is. This is what brings this into the brave neighborhood. While it's maybe not musically as powerful as The Great Escape, I think narratively it's certainly as powerful. And at this point, this is where you bring in the strings and the choir. So when I mentioned those in the notes and you said it gave you chills, I'm assuming this is what you were talking about. Because, mm -hmm. oh, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, man. So I, it's been so long since I saw the tour. I probably am just making shit up now about what I think <laughs> I saw. What I remember is you get to the end of the song and pretty much everyone left the stage except Adam Holtzman. And he's playing the piano part. They had the sequenced choir in the background. And it's just this beautiful 
Uh, is it a boys choir, or children's choir? I already forget from it's, what we said yeah, earlier. It's, it's, a, it's a school choir, so I'm guessing. Yeah, it's so it's this, you know, they're like ultra high, beautiful, pure voices. And they just keep moving up. They just keep ascending as Adam's playing. And it's it's just this spiritual thing. And you can almost see the protagonist's spirit ascending, almost like she was in sort of some sort of purgatory state. Right. Where we we didn't like because we didn't know right and on our minds that's that's where she's been right she's just been in this purgatory state no one knows where she is no one knows what's happening to her everyone just assumes she's living life and now we know and now we we witness her spirit ascending it is just a magical final ending I love the irony of hey brother happy returns it's been a while now I bet you thought that I was dead right. I love to tell you I've been busy, but that would be a lie because the truth is the years just pass like trains. Yeah. I wave, but they don't slow down. And like so, I mean, if you're a middle-aged person raising kids, is there any better way to describe life no. than that? The years just pass like trains. You wave, but they don't slow down. I love the fact that he uses the train reference because one of my favorite Porcupine Tree song is Trains that speaks to the love that Stephen Wilson has of trains. Mm -hmm. I love that slight connection there. And then to your point, like I love the other line. I feel I'm living in parentheses. It's an incredible sentiment. I seem to assign everything that I feel to everyone. So maybe these are feelings that I have myself, but I know what that feels like. And I assume that there's times when other people know what that, that feels like, and maybe they don't realize they do until they hear that line. Right. It ties in that that final idea of Joyce Carol Vincent was found with gifts around her that she had bought, and obviously it's connected in there and, and tied in at the end. It's just amazing. I can't imagine experiencing most of this live and then being like, I need to know the rest. Yeah. But but the the journey that I have gone on personally over the last you know two three weeks with regards to this has been as rewarding a musical experience as I've had in a very very long time. I didn't necessarily know what I was getting into. Much like when when your friend called and said, "Hey, I got Stephen Wilson tickets," you're like, "Great, what's that?" <laughs> um, and, and again, much like Brave, I. We've talked on that episode. How many months did we have and listen to Brave before you realize, wait, this is a concept album? What's the concept? You know, or hey, all these things, yeah. the songs seem to be connected. What's what's going on here? It's that discovery. And like I said, it when you figure it out, it it elevates the art. And so again, much in the same way, you know, it took maybe Marillion fans twenty years to catch up to Brave. It took me, well, much less, only three and a half years to catch up to hand cannot erase. But I'll tell you what, this is something that's going to stick with me now. Man, I, I love it, Joe. I wonder how many other people in that crowd that night it was only a couple of months after this album was released. I'm sure there were many people who were, you know, hook, line and sinker all the way through. But I wonder overall, particularly all the additional fans mm -hmm. that have come on board with Stephen Wilson with the release of To the Bone, people who have kind of locked in maybe more than were before. I wonder if 15 years from now, there will be sort of this other awakening, you know, when we celebrate the 20th anniversary of Hand Cannot Erase. Yeah. 
will will we experience something again where there's more of a, the multitude of people that come together to say, oh, we we get it now. It's taken this long, but because that's the kind of work that that this really is. I think your comparison to Brave is spot on and right on the money. And I think that will uh, that will bring it to a close. Paul, as always, thank you for a very, very engaging discussion. And, you know, thank you for your perseverance on keeping me on this album and Stephen Wilson in general. Joe, I love it. It is a testament to progressive rock music, especially when it's done as, as well as Stephen Wilson has done it. It takes time, but when everything is right and you find that path, boom. Yep. I love it. I love it, man. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we enjoy sharing the conversation with you, and I think there's a lot of uh, room here for conversation, so we encourage all of you guys to reach out on your thoughts and your interpretations of Hand Cannot Erase. We are available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as at Progpala on all of those, or you can search for Progressive Blabber. Feel free to email us. Our email address is progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. We are available on Apple's and Google's podcast service, and we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. so excited i love it i love that you love this album i do i'm so happy it's so good (laughs) wow that is that is awesome yeah total total aside um i've been watching all of the star wars movies with my kids wow in uh in story chronological order not order of release wow okay and so I've always been afraid to do that because, you know, if, if you do it that way, you get episode one, two, three, solo, Rogue One, and then episode four. Yeah. And I was always like, what, how is this going to, to play? It's actually fantastic. Really? It, it, it works much better than you would have thought. Yeah. Have you ever tried machete order? Machete order? Yeah. So you you watch – you watch um, four and five, and after the the big reveals in five, and sort of you're in the midst of you don't know what the hell's happening. Then you you kind of go back and get the backstory, one, two, but you cut out episode one because there's pretty much nothing that happens in that episode that's really worthwhile, and everybody dies. Everybody important it dies or either becomes um, non-existent for a long time. Um, and then so you go back and watch two and three to get the backstory of how Vader came to be and then you go back and finish up with return of the jedi now it doesn't account for any of the other you know other movies in there but um 
that works pretty that works pretty well too but i'm i may need to try that over thanksgiving maybe uh it's it's not been bad um and and i'm yeah whatever we'll get into it later that i think that part just got edited out of the podcast yeah yeah we'll uh we'll, <laughs> we'll keep... we're already we're already pushing an hour we're only at 40 oh, minutes gosh. all right okay good so right, not so bad 